T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. It's in the title because it's what we do. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website, focusing entirely on the veteran and military experience and making sure that the information that you should know, the information you need to know, the information we think you'd want to know is right there at your fingertips. And we know because we are veterans ourselves. Each and every member of our team is either actively serving in the Reserves or National Guards or served in the military. With one exception, our new executive producer, who is actually a longtime military spouse. So just as connected to the military as any of us are. Of course, one group that's very connected to the military and veteran community is AMVETS. They're working each and every day to make sure that their membership and veterans in general are getting the benefits that they deserve, are getting the information that they need. And while we often talk in... while we often talking, while we often talking to my old Dinfos classmate, Joe Chanelli, today we are joined by the Chief Strategy Officer of AMVETS, Marine Corps veteran Sherman Gillum. Sherman, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing well. So, you're a first-time guest on the show, which means you have to go through the difficult part, which is talking about yourself first. So, Sherman, I know you served in the Marine Corps. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you served. Well, let's see if you can pick up on a theme here. I'm from Buffalo, New York. Oh, that's basically Canada, right? right? Right, And we know someone else who's from that area. Yeah, that's Joe, uh, too. You, and, you, you, uh, you're both snow people. That's right. That's right. Both <laughs> Bill's fans as well, unapologetic. Wow, that's that's a difficult thing uh, to be. But I joined the Marine Corps at 17. I, I just wanted to get out of the city, go see the world. Uh, so I did that. I went to Paris Island and uh, passed all the requirements, became a Marine, ended up doing 12 years uh, before uh, I unfortunately uh, had an accident that left me unable to continue. But during that time, I was a combat cameraman. Ah. Not public affairs, but I was a comic cameraman, so I'm familiar with Denfos and 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 uh, some of the other uh, PAO related uh, duties. There you go. But uh, but yeah, I, I I loved it. I did a tour as a drill instructor for three years at Paris Island, made chief warrant officer. Uh, so I had a pretty good run. Wow, that does sound like a pretty good run in the Corps. Twelve years is. A long time for anybody to serve. I did 13 in the Navy. You did 12 in the Corps. Jake, our producer, he did 13 in the Army. So we got three of the four branches covered uh, just between the three of us. And I think after you hit a decade in particular, really after eight years, after those first couple of uh, contracts are up, it's become almost a way of life for you. And in the Marine Corps, I think that's doubly so because you guys, uh, you're, you're just a little bit of a different breed in the Marine Corps. So... After 12 years, and particularly with your service coming to an end uh, through an accident, an accident that left you uh, differently abled, disabled, mm-hmm. however you want to put it, what was that period of time like for you when you realized that you were no longer going to be an active duty Marine? The accident itself uh, was sudden, as, as most accidents are, but mm. this one was catastrophic enough to uh, leave me unable to continue in the core. I was uh, paralyzed from the neck down for a period, I rehabilitated, and I tell you what, that's, there's no lower low than uh, one not being able to control uh, his or her body, particularly when you have to strip off the uniform and, and then undergo that experience. And so I think uh, that's I, I, it's not even a golden hour. It's a golden moment in a veteran's life when uh, peer mentorship is important, uh, having 
a, a network of support is important. And that's, that's the theme of my work with AMVETS right now is to ensure that veterans who find themselves in that position, uh, and I can relate to that, have the, the kind of support that I needed to get through it. We've talked to uh, many of our wounded warriors about uh, the struggles that they've gone through. I mean, Rob Jones, who lost both of his legs, who then went on to bike across the country, run 31 marathons in 31 days. Even the guys who have gone on to do amazing things like that to show that life isn't over, life is just a little bit different when you've been, well, significantly different when you've been disabled uh, by your service. Every one of them has those, uh, those low points, those low moments and are somehow able to get past them. Of course, some people aren't able to get past those those points. What do you think we can do as someone who's been there, who's been through that, to make sure that those veterans who suffer a catastrophic injury like you did uh, are, are able to to try and get through that and, and able to try and realize that, listen, life is not over? I use an analogy uh, called the hole, and it's, it's it, it talks about how when you find yourself in that hole, a lot of people are going to pass by the opening throw things down and give you advice and you've got doctors that'll throw you pills uh, but you've got to jump back into the hole with them because that person needs to see how to get out of it they need to watch somebody else who's uh, similarly situated get out of it and I think uh, in terms of an injury it's really easy I go to those guys at the bedside and drag them along let's go get yourself out of bed uh, but there are different ways you can find yourself in the hole it could be addiction uh, it could be a, just a sense of loss a sense of a uh, uh, loneliness because your comrades died and you made it back, some survivor's guilt, things like that. So you have to uh, keep a system in place where peers can find these guys and these, these women as well and, uh, and, and jump in that hole with them, show them how to get out. That's the way to do it. We're speaking with Sherman Gillum. Sherman is a Marine Corps veteran and the chief, chief strategy officer of AMVETS. And we're about to get the, to all that AMVETS does and some really important things going on and coming up in the AMVETS world. Question for you. Do you think that you would have moved on to get involved in veterans advocacy as you have if you hadn't been injured in the way that you were? I stopped questioning God a long time ago with the <laughs> ifs because you could, we could do a lot of ifs. But um, but I, I, I probably and because this is such rewarding work, it, mm. it, it almost feels like this is my destiny. I could say that now. Uh, I don't know. At the time, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would have valued the experience as much had I been uh, able to walk out of the core after 20 year career. I know a lot of people who finish that way and aren't the happiest because at some point you got to get out. Mm. And, and sometimes that's after you've, you, you, you've exhausted all the zeal you have in life and you feel lost and you're not even disabled in, in physical form or, or in mental form, but you become uh, disabled by uh, purpose. I guess that's another form of disability when you lack purpose or you question that purpose. And that can be pretty tough. It absolutely can. But you, of course, found your way through and found your way to the world of veterans advocacy. You've worked with several organizations recently coming to the AMVETS team. Tell me about that move. Why did you want to join the AMVETS team? And also, what exactly does a chief strategy officer sure. do? Well, the first question is, uh, why, why did I come to AMVETS? The answer uh, has to do with the fact that I spent most of my years uh, focusing on a, 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 a one type of disability, paralysis. And there are a lot of men and women who undergo that that need somebody who understands but mental health became a, a bigger imperative for me. My wife is a veteran. Um, she suffered uh, a after surviving a suicide blast in Afghanistan. She suffers the effects of that. It may be lifelong. So I had a, f a, a firsthand perspective of what that's like to go through life after that. And I wanted to tackle that. And, uh, you know, it, my previous experience uh, as, a, as an advocate with a focus on health care took me down this road where I wanted to explore which organization is ready to do that, make mental health an imperative, a mission 
uh, uh, mission objective. Um, and, and Joe and I had a long talk about it. And once uh, he, he decided that that was going to be a good part of his vision and how he evolved the organization, I wanted to be a part of that. So I came aboard. And of course, you came aboard as the chief strategy officer, which, uh, I, you know, I think when we're as veterans, we hear strategy officer, we're thinking somebody's making a plan to attack somebody else. I'm guessing that's not your main job over there at AMVETS or your job at all. So chief strategy officer, give us a breakdown of what that entails. Well, if you think about the environment we're in right now, we, we watched the House pass the bill on health care. Finally, after a couple of years of, of uncertainty in that area, we also don't know who the VA secretary is. Um, we also see technology. Uh, dictating a lot of things. We see uh, social attitude shifting and the role of VSOs itself is changing. We don't, we don't know. So there's a lot of uncertainty and the way you navigate that uh, is, is strategically. You have to, you have to be deliberate in your purpose and your identity as an organization. Um, I, I operate on three principles with the acronym DIE, D-I-E. One, you want to, you want to dictate the change. That means that when you see something happening, you assert an opinion, you assert your voice, Make sure you're heard. Don't wait to respond. You you set the tone for the conversation as a thought leader. Second one is the I, integrate programs. We look at a veteran as a whole person, and our programs should be set up that way. So if somebody's got financial issues, well, that could be a benefits problem. It could cause health issues. Maybe that person needs a job. And we've got programs that hit all those dimensions, and they have to work together so that we're not one-dimensional in our, in our ability to touch a veteran. And then the E is we have to exploit new opportunities. All this uncertainty is opening doors to, to other ways that VSOs can represent the voice of veterans, social media. You had better learn how to communicate in that realm uh, and, and how do you exploit that and, and how do you look at all these things that are happening and saying, okay, we can do something differently. And I think that's the real purpose of a, of a chief strategy officer for a uh, VSO. Of course, just yesterday, the VA Mission Act was passed through the House, as you mentioned, uh, expected to get through Senate, has even more support in the Senate than it does in the House. I'm sure that that's something that you were happy to see. It was a long time coming. Most of the things in uh, the VA Mission Act were originally in the omnibus bill, as we've already talked about this morning on the show, and were removed for well, political reasons, unfortunately. Uh, one of the things in there is, of course, extending caregiver benefits to uh, those who were injured before September 11th, as well as the CHOICE program. This going through, and let's assume that it gets through the Senate, gets signed by the president, which it, it, it's pointing in that direction, how big is that and how much work is there still left to do, do you think, within the veteran community to make sure that we're all taken care of? Well, first of all, it's just a plan. You know, the, the implementation execution is really what's most important. But what this what this does, uh, it, it's, it's an imperfect solution, but it's a solution, finally, that allows us to see how the VA health care landscape is going to shape up. Um, there are some pilot program initiatives in there. You know, we're having talks about maybe a way to participate in that. It expands caregiver benefits. We can better uh, take care of our Vietnam veterans and, and their caregivers who are hitting those older ages and need help. Um, it also does something that we do need to watch, though. It expands the authority of the secretary in a way that I hadn't seen before. And hmm. we have to, A, find out who's going to be that secretary, what, <laughs> what their what their ideological uh, uh, intent uh, will be, and uh, and then monitor what happens and, and hold the person accountable. Uh, so the bill just kind of spells out a proposed direction, but it doesn't really matter until we see some implementation and some mm. some people behind the effort. So that's kind of what we're waiting on. But it does give finality to a, a long discussion that needed to be had because we were running out of money. You know, when you have to keep, di I mean, it just, it was just a bad way to do business. And so this closes the door on the, this constant need to have to go back and, and beg the Congress for more money. 
we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of this program. And in that time, I believe three times in the past year, we've seen emergency extension of the Choice Program. Mm -hmm. Seeing it finally be addressed, uh, legislatively at least, is certainly a positive step. Is that the way you look at it, though, is it's just a step and there is still a lot more to be done, clearly, on these items and on everything else that's not included in the Mission Act? Well, it's a necessary step. You have to pass the law first, and, and then you have to get a sense of how it's going to be implemented. There have been plenty of laws passed that we're still waiting to see uh, bear fruit, such <laughs> as the Appeals Modernization Act. Mm -hmm. uh, you've had other uh, bills that have passed, so it's really in the execution. Um, but, but I'm happy that we finally had a Congress uh, take a step in a direction that represents progress and not more uh, uh, political maneuvering. That, that's the part that sickens me is when I see the uh, healthcare system being treated like a football or a trophy. We're speaking with Sherman Gillums, Marine Corps veteran and chief strategy officer of American Veterans, a.k.a. AMVETS. Of course, when we talk about legislation, we talk about the choice program, we talk about caregiver benefits. Uh, those are programs run by the government, run by the VA. AMVETS actually has some programs of its own and want to talk to you about one of those that I believe was just enacted not long after you came over as a chief strategy officer, that being the AMVETS HEAL program. What can you tell us about HEAL and about how well it's been working since it was put into place? Sure. Well, the AMVETS does some things great. They, they have the benefits uh, service department, uh, the career centers, but there's one piece missing, and that was the health care. If you don't have that, you can't really avail yourself, yourself of any of the other services. Uh, so the, the proposition was to close the loop on the, the range of services we offer veterans by creating this HEAL team, which or it's a HEAL program, and there's a team that executes the, uh, the objectives of the team, which is to reach out and find veterans before they get in crisis. And that's through a helpline that we set up so they could call in and vir ask virtually any question, any kind of help. If you've got a benefits question, because it all goes back at some point to how are you doing? How's your wellness? Are you, are you mentally okay? Are you physically getting the care you need? So the, the team we have, uh, they have experience and expertise in navigating the VA healthcare system, which can be labyrinthine, uh, bureaucratic. You know, you hear all the stories about that, but we want to connect veterans to the, to the right care they need, no matter what the barrier is. And so that's really one of the key uh, features of, of this HEAL, HEAL program is connecting veterans with the care, regardless of what that care is. Let's get it, you know, let's get them the care. And, and, and then educate the public. So we're going to have a uh, health symposium where we're going to have veterans, policymakers, and providers all sitting and hearing the same thing, hearing the stories, hearing the same proposals, and then talk through it and, and come up with some viable solutions to this uh, this uncertain environment we're in right now. Um, but it's really to assert AMVETS's uh, focus on the whole person and, and not piecemealing what we do, but having a, a holistic range of services that we offer to veterans as a, as a thank you for what they've done for this country. As a disabled veteran yourself, as someone who I'm sure is uh, you know, intimately familiar with the VA healthcare system, is it upsetting to you that something like this is necessary to be run by a VSO? And, and that the VA isn't able to streamline what they're doing and make it readily apparent how it should be used and how people should go about that? You know, I've been living long enough to know that the government, you know, there are things that they just can't do. Uh, they can, they can, uh, you know, they have the money and, and, and the, the scale, uh, but uh, I don't think you can run a healthcare system without the involvement of those who benefit from it. And so we have to dictate quality in some ways. Uh, there are plenty of hospitals around here, but when you go into one, it's not always the best experience. Uh, they don't listen to the user. Uh, we're the users. We're the ones that have to assert our voice. Uh, this program isn't replacing anything. It's helping 
um, we're filling a void created by the inefficiency of the government. And, and maybe that's where I criticize and, and agree with you is that the inefficiency is inexcusable. But but then again, it's a big operation. And, uh, and how efficient can it be when you don't really have a centralized control over, over that many people and, and, and that many functions? And we have to remember that the VA as an organization is about the same size as the Navy as far as the amount mm-hmm. of personnel that work in those two uh, obviously very different organizations. Right. But it doesn't have the same structure that the Navy does, which is a little bit more efficient and still is inefficient in some ways. So when we look at uh, the VA and we talk about how inefficient it is, you need to take into account how big it is and how there is going to be some level of inefficiency in Mm -hmm. any organization that big. Do you think that programs like the HEAL program and things that may be similar to it but address different issues within the VA, maybe relating to uh, you know non-medical health care things, do you think that those kind of addendums to what the VA offers are something that we'll see more of in the future coming from the VSOs like AMVETS? We're hoping to lead by example. Uh, we're hoping that uh, other organizations will emulate what we're doing. We, we can't hit every veteran. I mean, we, we virtually... Uh, represent the interests of all 20 million veterans given our inclusive charter, but we can't touch all of them. So it'd be great that if we established a model for how you do it and we're able to assist other organizations with setting up a program so they can own their piece of this problem. Uh, because right now, if you don't have a, a program that focuses on uh, veterans health care that actively focuses on it, then you're missing a big part of this problem uh, or being a part of the solution. So we, we hope to encourage uh, our fellow VSOs and even other organizations that have, uh, that are looking for a purpose to take a look at healthcare as a as a key component of their advocacy. When it comes to your fellow disabled veterans, is contacting the HEAL program something that you would recommend to them? And as an add-on to that question, what else do you think it's important for those who have uh, have gone through a traumatic experience like mm-hmm. you did to know about what's coming for them at the VA and, and through their medical care? The first important thing is to know that somebody's been where you are. Somebody has gone through this crucible. Uh, somebody has endured and they've come out on top. And so you've got to uh, ask for help for, for one. Uh, the help is out there and hopefully it's adequate. Uh, there are a lot of 1-800 numbers that claim to offer services, but uh, we, we, we want to be different in that when you have somebody answer the phone on our end, first of all, it's a clinician. It's somebody who knows a little bit about healthcare. They also know VA. We also have relationships with uh, the parts of VA that get things moving, like the VA secretary's office, like the vision directors and and the facility directors. We know a lot of these people, so we can make a phone call and and knock down barriers that way. And that is something that I I think it's oftentimes hard for those of us who are not uh, involved in that world of veteran advocacy at the levels that people like you, like Joe Mm -hmm. Chanelli, the executive director of AMVETS are. I mean, he's got the secretary, well, he had the secretary of the VA's phone number in his phone, Mm -hmm. so you could text him and ask him a question like almost immediately, uh, and whoever is the next secretary of the VA, I'm sure that relationship will be there as well. So it's something that uh, people might not expect, because I think we get this idea of people like the secretary of the VA, the secretary of defense, the president, whoever is something on a whole nother level, but we got to remember they're just people. They're people who are doing important jobs, but it's a job where they have to answer to people. One of the groups they answer to is AMVETS. And we're speaking to the chief strategy officer for AMVETS, Mr. Sherman Gillums, Marine Corps veteran. And we are talking about a number of issues, including there's an upcoming veteran symposium, which I want to make sure we touch on. This Mm -hmm. is coming up next week. Tell us a little bit about that symposium and what's going to be addressed and accomplished at it. Yeah, touched on it earlier. This is going to be held at the George Washington University campus. Uh, we've got three panels. One will be a veteran panel where we have the post-9-11 generation represented, 
the Vietnam veteran generation uh, represented and women veterans. And the reason why that's important is because if you think about the three uh, groups that are at highest risk for suicide are Vietnam veterans as the largest group, women veterans as the fastest growing uh, rate of suicide, and the post 9-11 veterans that have served in combat that first year post-service it's a, it's a it's a tough year, and and that's a that's a risk a risky time for them. So we've got those three groups represented that'll speak to those issues. I want to I want the the providers and the policymakers to understand from the voice of veterans. This is why these men and women are killing themselves at this rate, or these these are the barriers to access that we're facing. Um, and then we're going to talk to the second panel, which will be the providers, the doctors, both in and out of VA. And then the last one will be the policymakers, and we can challenge them to take what we've learned in this in symposium back to their uh, respective camps and, and help get some policies through that actually make a difference. And there are, just looking at the people who are going to be on these panels, uh, you're on one of them. You're on the veterans I'll be panel. I'll moderating that first one, yep. As well as uh, Melissa Bryant, who we've had on the show before. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's uh, part of IAVA over there, also an Army Iraq War veteran. Mike Lowe, one of my fellow Navy vets. Rick Weidman, Army Vietnam War veteran. And then I think the panel where... I'd be most interested in what's going to come out of it is the Veterans Healthcare Providers Panel. Mm-hmm. Having the opportunity to, uh, you know, people ask questions and hear responses to important questions from, you know, the uh, Senior Medical Director from Johns Hopkins, the VA National Clinic Nursing Director, a VA psychologist, AMVET's Chief Medical Executive. How beneficial do you think that can be? That Just that discussion actually happening between people like that for the veteran community at large and the AMVET's membership. Well, what we hope, first of all, is that they're talking already. Like, and it shouldn't take this kind of mm. uh, forum to get them to talk, but uh, but we don't see it or we don't see the the results of it. So this is this will be right out in front. We're gonna we're gonna show, uh, like I said, we're gonna lead by example by presenting this in a way where we can have a discussion and touch all parts of the problem. Everybody hear the same thing. Providers, you need to listen to veterans. Policymakers, you need to listen to providers. This is what they need outside of VA and in VA. Uh, so when we're talking about choice care and and, and care out, you know, out in the community outside of VA, what, what challenges do those providers face? We're assuming a lot, but this is the way we uh, either we challenge those assumptions and we're either going to adjust and, and or find out we're right, but, but we have to have that discussion. We absolutely do, and that discussion is going to take place mm-hmm. next week. It's going to be a week from, uh, a week from yesterday. Wednesday, yes. May 23rd is when the symposium is taking place. Is this something that people can show up to and, and take part in if they're interested in finding out more about it? How do they go about uh, that process? You can go on anvets.org to find out about it. We posted the um, the press release about it. Uh, there's also an RSVP link, so it is open. But we want to make sure we have the right people there. If if you're a veteran and you wanna you wanna have a uh, you know give your contribution to the discussion, RSVP. Uh, at some point, we we'll have to cut it off because the room can only hold so many. Right. We're not at that point yet, so, but we're hoping that if there are clinicians who want to hear more about how to take care of veterans, if there are policymakers who are interested in uh, crafting legislation that will be uh, helpful uh, and hear right from the, the voice of the, the providers and veterans. This will be a great opportunity to go hear those things. One last question for you as we finish up here, and that's regarding just the VSOs in general, mm-hmm. including AMVETS. I talked to many veterans who aren't a member of any of the VSOs. We know that membership is declining in mm-hmm. each of the VSOs. Part of that is because, you know, the generations where so many people served, World War II, Korea, mm-hmm. fewer of them around every day, fewer Vietnam veterans every day as well. If someone comes up to you and says, Sherman, why should I become a member of a VSO like AMVETS? What do you say to that person? Well, the first thing I have to do is make sure I understand what they value. You know, what it is that you value about being a part of something. The second thing is, Make sure that our programs are effective. And so when I say 
we can help you do this, that they're actually going to see, you know, uh, have a, have a professional intervention and in whatever issue it is, whether it's healthcare, whether it's the, uh, on the benefit side, but also, uh, what are you doing now to give back? Are, are you, are you volunteering at a hospital? Are you, are you doing anything to help your fellow veteran? If you won't join AMVETS, join something, be a part of something, because that's the only way this thing is going to work is to have veterans helping veterans. I, I really believe that that's the secret to our success is, uh, is, is the fact that we repurpose. I talked about purpose earlier. Well, we give people a purpose who, who don't have that. We've been speaking with Sherman Gillums, Jr. Sherman is a Marine Corps veteran. He is the Chief Strategy Officer of AMVETS. And Sherman, if people do want to find out more about AMVETS and what you guys are doing and what you're doing over there, again, where do they go to find all that information? Well, it's real easy. You can go on AMVETS.org. Uh, I encourage uh, listeners to go to AMVETS.org backslash vet-heal to learn more about the Heal team. You can also go on social media, uh, I believe it's Anvets HQ and That's Facebook, correct, yep. <laughs> and uh, we're also on Twitter. So we're everywhere. You can you can hashtag Heal American Veterans. Find us through that hashtag as well. And uh, we've been uh, putting a lot of content out there, so we're, we should be easy to find. Well, we want to thank Sherman Gillums and Ken Falk, retired Navy EOD Master Chief. Again, the website for his book StruggleWell.com. This has been the Morning Briefing Thursday edition. And there's still more to come this week. Tomorrow, we're going to talk to the VFW, and we're going to have some other fascinating guests joining us as well. So join us then. And until then, have a great day. Have a safe day. We'll see you tomorrow. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t